is Tax Talk Today, the tax show for the tax pro. Today's program, the electronic IRS, more than just e-file. Hello, I'm Phyllis Grimes, and welcome to Tax Talk Today, a series of programs brought to you by the Internal Revenue Service. Today's moderator is Les Whitmer. Les brings to Tax Talk Today 23 years of experience with the IRS and is currently a communications consultant in Atlanta. Before we start today's program on e-file, we'll have a discussion with our special guest, Chris Neighbor, Chief of the Liaison and Tax Forum Branch from the Office of National Public Liaison of the IRS. Les? Chris, we've talked before on Tax Talk today about the National Liaison Councils and uh, uh, that work with the IRS uh, where tax practitioners serve on them. Uh, for those maybe not familiar with it, can you tell us a little bit about what these councils are and what they do? Sure, absolutely, Les. Um, thanks for having me. Um, a lot of your viewers may not know that the IRS manages six advisory councils. Uh, they're pretty, pretty di diverse. Um, they include the Electronic Tax Administration Council, the Art Advisory Panel, the Taxpayer Advoc uh, Advisory Panel, and a Tax-Exempt Panel. Uh, and there's two that I'd really like to uh, talk to you about today, uh, the Information Reporting Program Advisory Committee and the Internal Revenue Service Advisory Council. Uh, both of these have open seasons coming up. Okay. Tell us a little bit about uh, these two in particular, then. What, uh, what do they do? Okay. Uh, the Information Reporting Program Advisory Committee, or ERPAC for short, uh, advises the IRS on information reporting and third-party reporting issues. Uh, its membership consists of highly qualified representatives from banking, finance, payroll, appraisal, and tax practitioner communities. Um, the Internal Revenue Service Advisory Council, or ERSAC for shorthand, advises the IRS on slightly broader uh, cross-cutting tax issues. Um, the ERSAC reviews existing tax policy and advises IRS on emerging tax administration issues. Its uh, membership uh, is a little bit broader um, and consists generally of academics, large and small business CFOs, uh, tax attorneys, certified public accountants, enrolled agents, payroll professionals, and others. Okay. In particular, these two then, how do they interact with, uh, say, the IRS commissioner and the top staff of the IRS? Well, in recent years, um, both of these committees have been very active in advising the IRS on some very hot, very emerging issues, such as, of course, EITC is always an issue, the uh, recent economic stimulus plan that we're working mm -hmm. through right now. Um, uh, we have a new uh, strategic plan uh, that we're putting into place um, in the years ahead. Uh, ERSAC is advising us on that. Uh, of course, last year we had split refunds. Um, and the telephone excise tax were also issues that ERSAC and ERPAC both volunteered their expertise on. Okay. Uh, briefly, could you tell us a little bit about the mechanics of how they operate or where, how often do they meet? Uh, are members paid uh, uh, and where and when do, do they meet? Sure. Uh, unfortunately, um, we are the government. We cannot pay these advisory mm -hmm. members. They are private citizens um, and, you know, they're not paid, uh, but we do reimburse reimburse them for travel and incidentals while they're in uh, an official capacity. Uh, they come into D.C., uh, Washington, D.C., and meet four to five times a year uh, with, with their members. And uh, I have to warn uh, uh, the applicants, uh, the process for, for applying is very thorough. Uh, and unfortunately, it's very time consuming, but I think most members find out that it's, it, it's well worth it. 
Um, and also, through the application process, we request a tax check waiver to be signed by the applicant for obvious reasons. Okay. How can someone, if there's any of our viewers who are interested in this, uh, how could they apply or how could they find out more information about uh, these two committees? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe there's information posted on the Tax Talk Today resource page, mm -hmm. uh, but they can go directly to irs.gov to the Tax Professionals page, and there is a link to ERSAC and ERPAC Open Seasons. Okay. Now, I know your office is also responsible for other programs, and uh, it's hard to believe it's that time of the year, but it, the tax forms are again coming up. Uh, uh, where are they this year, and what, what's planned? Well, um, yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Uh, um, the forums are beginning a little bit earlier this year than they kicked off last year. Uh, the first one is, believe it or not, July 1st in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, that's coming up very quickly. And matter of fact, the early registration cutoff uh, is, I believe, in three or four weeks. So anybody wanting to go to that one, uh, be sure to sign up. Uh, but uh, we will go to uh, uh, Chicago, Orlando, Las Vegas, New York, and San Diego this year as well. Um, hopefully there will be an opportunity for your viewers to go to any of these great cities. Okay. What uh, you have anything new or what's in store for us this year at the tax forums? Oh, of course. There's always <laughs> something bigger and better at the tax forums. Um, this year, um, we're doing um, a hands-on workshop on the new Form 990 and a, a new retirement plan workshop. Uh, Social Security is unveiling some uh, e-business programs that they have. Uh, there is a special network reception where tax practitioners and IRS employees can just sit and talk tax. Um, and of course, there are 40 separate seminars on topics as diverse as debt forgiveness, bankruptcy, uh, return prepare penalties, limited liability companies, and a new zero capital gains rate. Okay, lots of good information. Uh, I understand there's a new twist this year that you're going to be doing some work uh, from the tax forms online? Oh, absolutely. Um, I guess I should mention one last thing that I forgot to throw in. Of course, uh, the attendees can earn up to 18 CPE credits yeah. at the Nationwide Tax Forums. That's for enrolled agents, uh, certified financial planners, and um, CPAs as well. Um, and, and I'd be remiss also if I didn't throw in something about the case resolution room and the EIRS room at the Nationwide Tax Forums. Uh, and I believe we're going to hear a little bit more about the EIRS mm -hmm. room later. But yes, um, the Nationwide Tax Forums Online is a new program that my office uh, has put together recently, and we launched back in January. Um, and the website is www.irstaxforumsonline.com. And at that website right now, uh, viewers can see um, full seminars from the 2007 Nationwide Tax Forums, and they can look and get a feel for what an actual tax forum is like. Um, and they can they can experience the the true. Um, you know, the, the, the content of a nationwide tax forum, unfortunately, you don't get the face-to-face -face camaraderie that you get there at okay. a tax forum. Um, and in October, uh, we're going um, to show seminars that we've recorded at the 2008 nationwide tax sure. forums. Yes, sir. And um, hopefully, uh, viewers will um, be able to uh, uh, see what's new for the 2009 filing season as well as show their office mates what they missed by not going to a forum this year. Okay, great information. Thanks for stopping by and sharing that with Thanks. us. And now back to Phyllis to learn more about today's program. The Tax Talk Today series provides you, the tax professional, with the opportunity to interact directly with representatives of the IRS and practicing professionals on current tax issues. In addition, 
Viewing the Tax Talk Today series is an easy way to earn continuing education credits. You can purchase CE credits through the Tax Talk Today store and earn one credit for today's program. You will need the course number, which is given at the end of the program, so don't forget to jot it down. Also, we want your questions throughout today's program, so please email your questions to questions at taxtalktoday.tv. If you have not already done so, visit the resource section of our website. We have posted an outline for today's program as well as additional valuable information. Well, now let's get on to today's program, the electronic IRS, more than just e-file. In today's program, the IRS will showcase the various electronic options available to tax preparers. You'll get the latest news and information on e-file, e-services, and other electronic tools important to the practitioner community, and a glimpse of the changes you can expect to see in 2009. So let's join our first panel. Joining Les is Beth Jones, Director of Electronic Products and Services Support of the Wage and Investment Division of the Internal Revenue Service, and Paul Mamo, Director of Development Services Division, Electronic Tax Administration for the Internal Revenue Service. The complete bios for our guests are on the Tax Talk Today website. Les? Thanks, Phyllis. Well, I guess it's not what you would call a regular old filing season just ended up with the late filing changes involving the AMT, the alternative minimum tax, and then you were asked to do the economic stimulus payment. So I guess this was quite unusual. Let's start with the AMT, Paul. How did that affect processing? How did it affect the filing season? How did you do? Well, first of all, Les, let me appreciate the opportunity to come to speak to you and to the tax professional community. And I will tell you, you're exactly right. And as our viewers can probably attest, this is probably one of the more challenging filing seasons we've had in, in recent memory. And um, uh, around the holiday season, we experienced some late legislation, as you mentioned. The alternative minimum tax was actually passed in late December. And uh, it affected five major credit forms associated with the Form 1040, uh, most notably the mortgage credits and the child tax credit. And um, as most folks know, um, it takes a little while for us to prepare for the filing season. So typically we get usually a little bit more of a lead time to make programming changes. So the challenge was really is to make those necessary programming changes to make sure that the changes that were put on those forms were actually programmed um, in our system. So uh, we work with our partners, our software vendors, and we worked with uh, a, a host of folks in the partner community to, uh, to make those changes. And um, what we ended up doing is on the, the, the opening of the e-filing, we actually opened up on time, so we were able to open up um, the uh, e-filing the e to the general population. But for those folks that were affected by those credits and forms, we actually had to hold back those forms and, and ask for those to be submitted uh, when, when we were prepared. And that day was actually February 11th. Uh, the total community of folks that couldn't e-file up until February 11th was about 13 million. But based on the filing patterns, we knew that the, the bulk of those numbers probably wouldn't not come in until post-February 11th. So uh, consequently, we opened the doors on February 11th. Any returns that were received prior to February 11th, we rejected. But again, we worked very closely with our partners. So it was a, uh, an incredible amount of coordination on, the, um, on, the, on our partner side, and we want to thank everyone's patience and, and um, um, due diligence on their part in making, making this a successful um, 
uh, instance in terms of mm -hmm. implementing late legislation. Now, the stimulus payments, uh, uh, they're going out now. They were going out after the filing season, but this had an impact on the filing season because in order to get a payment, you had to file a tax return, right? Absolutely. You know, I will have to say, after working through the AMT, the, the success was short-lived or the celebration. <laughs> Because once we once we completed the AMT and we sort of uh, popped the balloons and celebrated the economic stimulus payment was was there for us to uh, to manage and uh, to the for the vast uh, general public because Congress attached the economic stimulus payments to the return there was nothing that a, that a general taxpayer had to do what what made this particularly challenging is that for many non-filers for folks that were SSA recipients or Virginia or Veteran Affairs recipients or, or recipients of railroad. Uh, retirement pay um, hadn't filed in many years and in order for them to receive an economic stimulus payment mm -hmm. they had to file a tax return so there was an incredible amount of coordination that went on with our veterans affairs and with the SSA and in fact the general public received um, multiple notices and, in, and as you mentioned the payments are now going out and they just started to go out on, on May 5th and I will mention uh, a couple couple notes that uh, taxpayers have up until October 15th to go ahead and get those payments in, or get those um, their tax returns in so we can go ahead and be sure to get their economic stimulus payment to them before the end of the year. Okay. So Good. again, the, the, the amount of effort and collaboration on, on, on all, the, both from the tax professionals and our software folks and the people that generate the returns was incredible and I want to thank the professional community Good. for their uh, for their efforts. Beth, let's talk a little bit about e-filing then. Uh, how did this and the regular filing season impact on the e-filing the e program? Uh, uh, were numbers up? They were less. Again, the numbers were up, and we're really pleased about that. Um, overall, our e-file return rate went up about 12 percent um, for a volume of 85.5 million electronically filed returns. Wow. Um, and from our um, electronic return originator community, we were up about 9 percent, which represents about 59.4 million returns. Um, one figure that really is amazing, I think, is that we had um, about 218 million um, visits to our irs.gov web website, which represents about a 30% increase. This data is as of May 3rd. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing we do know about this is that because there was AMT information and the stimulus payment information on the website, um, a good bit of this mm -hmm. increase is um, you know, attributable to those two events. But still, just an, an amazing thing, I think. Also, our e-services enrollments are up. Currently, we have about 132,000 active users um, in e-services. And um, I'll give you just a couple of examples of increases on our e-services applications. These are very impressive, I think. Um, usage on our electronic account resolution application um, is up about 43% and um, transcript delivery system about 36 percent. So we are really pleased with where we're going in the e-world. Yeah, and let's just, if I could amplify a couple of the numbers that, that Beth just described. Um, with respect to e-file, we are just ecstatic with, with, with the numbers. I mean, 12 percent the last few years, I think we have somewhere in 8 to 9 percent. Uh, overall, that number represents about 62 percent of the overall uh, individual tax, uh, tax-paying population. Mm -hmm. So uh, tremendous number. We're very pleased. Uh, the other thing I'd like to mention for, for those tax professionals that use our modernized e-file system, which um, supports our business returns, mm -hmm. is actually MEF is considered our um, e-filing platform of the future, but today it, it just houses um, the business returns, which consists of the forms 1065, the form 1120, 1120S, and the form 990. And I will tell you, those numbers were up over 100%. We're, right. we're already over 2.4 million for this year. So 
um, we're very very excited uh, about the numbers on the MEF platform as well. So good. Uh, <clears throat> on Tax Talk today, we've we've talked about e-services. I think we've talked about it from the very beginning, so we've we've been with it. And I'm sure that many of our viewers use e-services, and hopefully they're part of the numbers that you talked about. But um, maybe just a little bit of background on what the uh, e-services is all about and, and what incentives are available for those maybe not totally familiar with it. Okay. We'd, we're glad you've been talking about <laughs> them all this time. Um, well, we have primarily um, the three incentive products that are available to um, practitioners who file at least um, five accepted um, e-file returns each year. Um, this year, we also opened up um, um, e-services to Circular 230 participants, the um, attorneys, CPAs, and enrolled agents. They are able to um, register for e-services even if they have not e-filed returns. And um, we were expecting to get um, quite a bit of, of registrants out of that initiative. So far, we only have about 4,200 registrants. Um, we recently mailed out postcards to about 45,000 enrolled agents, hoping to get some more um, registrations, and we have seen some increase there. But um, we, um, the incentive products that are available are our disclosure authorization application where you can electronically online submit um, powers of attorney and also um, um, requests or, or authorizations for information. And, um, and then that's done immediately. Uh, we have the electronic account resolution application. Um, much like uh, using practitioner priority hotline, you can submit um, tax account um, issues for resolution and receive a response within three business days. And we also have, of course, the transcript delivery system that's available uh, where you request um, transcript of account information or uh, wage information and receive that back immediately, again, through the secure repository. Paul, uh, what's planned for the, the future? What's what's new for next year? Uh, well, actually, the um, let me talk about a couple, couple improvements that we have, one on IRS.gov and then one um, uh, with regard to security. Uh, obviously, as folks know, the protection of taxpayer information and, and, and their identity is of the utmost importance to, uh, to the IRS. And in fact, we have um, stood up an office to, to, to look at uh, the identity theft and to make sure that um, what we're uh, what we're doing in that area is uh, is protecting the data to its to its um, to its highest degree. And to that end, we're working very closely with our partners to propose um, to strengthen our e-filing requirements uh, in order to participate in um, IRS's e-file program. There's a set of requirements, and what we're looking at is a set of requirements that will help raise the bar, if you will, um, to try to ensure or further protect uh, taxpayer data. For example, using a third party to go in and uh, perform a certification. Now, to the to the tax professional community, it's sort of transparent because most of the folks use uh, software providers and EROs, and those are the partners that we're working very closely with to uh, uh, to uh, install these um, install these additional requirements. So that's that's one thing, and I I want I, I can't stress enough the the importance that that we put and the value that we put on regarding taxpayer data and particularly their identity. And as most people know in this day and age, that there's um, uh, that the, the, the phishing and the, and the phishing sites are out there, and so we need to do the, the do everything we can to to ensure the protection of the data. Um, also, IRS.gov improvements. One of the things that we're looking at. If uh, Beth talked a little bit about the, the extraordinary numbers that we saw this past year, 
very pleased, but we also know that there's opportunities for us to improve what we have currently on the website. Uh, we've always fielded a lot of uh, feedback and calls regarding our website, and one of the things that we're looking at is improving some of the uh, some of the functionality that I think our users will ultimately would would uh, would approve of. And for example, one of the things that we're looking at is it refining our search capability. Uh, I'm sure many of the folks watching this today have have gone onto our website and have. Um, uh, typed in a, a generic like AMT or ESP and, have, and it's returned back a fairly large, mm -hmm. a large return. So, what we're, what, yeah, you've been there. <laughs> so what we're trying to do is refine that to make sure that the, the results you get are more what, what the user is asking for. And so um, there's some other functionalities that we're looking at uh, in regard to the, the real estate on IRS.gov and trying to improve and, and create more opportunities on IRS.gov so they can, uh, they can get to the information much more quicker. So. Uh, and then I think that the last one I'd like to mention is a little bit about the MEF and what we're trying to do with the, the Form 1040. I talked, uh, I talked about the modernized e-file a little bit, and I think um, uh, right now what we're doing is we're working towards moving the, the, the Form 1040 from the current legacy environment over into the modernized environment. And I will tell you, just from the tax professional's um, vantage point, there are, there are four sort of core, core benefits. One is, is that you'll have year-round access to e-filing today. The current e-file program stands down for on October 15th, so we can get prepared and start to make, make the changes for the following year. Faster acknowledgments. One of the other things is being able to attach binary attachments to um, uh, to your return. Now, in the corporate world, that's much more important than it is for the individual world. And then um, we're also uh, the, the capability to submit amended returns and prior year returns will be there as well. So. Um, uh, that that all the all that functionality exists today on the on the business side, but we hope to bring that over to the individual world, and that's scheduled for August 2009 for the first phase of the 1040. Great. Yeah, I'd like to mention just a couple of uh, modernization initiatives that we also have. Um, one is um, just enhancements. We call it next generation of e-services. Now these things are um, pending. Of course, everything's contingent on budget approval, but um, we're excited about delivering these. We think in 2011. Uh, one will allow the bulk um, submission of the um, disclosure authorizations, uh, the transcript delivery requests, and the electronic account um, requests. So that's something that our users have been asking for, and we're happy that we're going to be able to do that. And also, they'll have the capability to put um, attachments on the electronic account um, requests as well, both incoming and outgoing. And then also, um, in the um, early fall of this year, we're going to be rolling out something called My IRS Account um, for individual taxpayers. It will be the first time that we um, let individual taxpayers actually um, come in through, through IRS.gov and um, get to, to their tax account information. They'll be able to um, view and print in the very first release. Um, tax return data and um, and tax account information. So this is a big step, as you can imagine. There's a lot of angst over the security of that. Sure. So we're um, taking you know measures to make sure that um, that uh, the system is going to Great. be very secure. Good. Um, Chris Neighbors, who was on uh, the earlier, mentioned uh, the tax forms, and right. he he mentioned something about uh, e-services or an e-room uh, being available for practitioners. Can you tell us a little more about that? Right. Yeah. Each year um, we have an e-IRS room at the forums. This year, though, we are adding um, something that we're excited about, and it's um, wor a workshop, I'll call it, but it's for small groups, 15 to 20, um, in the e-IRS room that will be um, it's sort of a hands-on 
a walkthrough of each of the applications, um, spending a little more time with um, individuals, but um, you know, walking through them and um, pointing out to them usually the the things that hang people up, giving them tips mm -hmm. about them. Um, there'll be three a day on a schedule. Um, but as, as well as that, we um, at the forums have um, assisters from our e-help desk that are available for one-on-one -on -one assistance, assistance with registration, uh, password issues, that kind of thing. And also, we have kiosks with them. Um, we call them Ask the Experts, with experts from each of the programs available to um, assist people. So. Um, it's an exciting um, place to visit, I think. And if I could just put a shameless plug in for the Electronic Tax Administration, we actually have an, a, uh, a seminar focused on the e-commerce to elaborate a little bit more on what I just spoke of uh, with regard to MEF and the 1040 and some of the security measures. And okay. So uh, we're looking forward to that seminar as well. So we hope to see some of the folks that are viewing this today out of one of the six okay. cities. Very good. Good information, good background information that will help us for our, our next panel and our next panel discussion. But before we get to that, let's hear from Phyllis with the headline news. Here are the top stories from the IRS. Marketing e-file to your clients has never been easier. As an IRS authorized e-file provider, you have many tools to grow your business. From e-file promotional products to informational publications, the free IRS e-file marketing toolkit has the resources you need. It is designed to provide you with tools and advertising aids to help increase your e-file and e-pay business and keep your individual and business clients coming back. These professionally developed materials include e-file posters, window decals, desk signs, the refund cycle chart, questions and answers for tax professionals, and much more. You can order the entire marketing toolkit, publication 3005, or just specific elements of the kit online at irs.gov. Type Marketing Toolkit in the irs.gov search box located in the upper right-hand portion of the landing page. IRS Small Business Resource Guide 2008 The Small Business Resource Guide 2008 is now available. The free CD is a one-stop source for all the information a small business owner needs to comply with federal tax laws. Topics range from starting a business to record-keeping, to paying payroll taxes, and much more. The CD includes tax forms, instructions, and publications that small business owners need. The CD also contains helpful web links to many government agencies, business associations, and irs.gov. You can order the CD by calling 1-800-829-3676 and ask for publication 3207 Revision March 2008. If you don't want to wait, the entire CD is available online on IRS Partner, the University of Missouri website at www.missouribusiness.net slash IRS. Another resource for small businesses. While we are on the subject of helping small businesses, IRS is in partnership with business.gov the official business link to the U.S. government. Managed by the U.S. Small Business Administration in partnership with 21 other federal agencies, business.gov provides a single access point to government services and information to help operate your client's small business. 
Business.gov allows small business owners to search for business information relevant to their town and business type, targeting only the relevant business information and directs them to the appropriate government resource. Tell your clients about Business.gov, a one-stop resource for state, local, and federal regulatory information. May 21st, National Phone Forum. Tell your clients about our free National Phone Forum, calling all first-time Schedule C filers, scheduled for May 21st. It's the first event in a year-long campaign to help educate new, self-employed, or small business owners about filing Schedule C, profit or loss from business, and provide them with improved and updated educational materials. It will focus on common pitfalls for new small businesses to avoid. For more information, see today's resource page. The IRS also just announced a June 18th phone forum on the automated under-reporter program. And remember, to get the latest information about other events and learn about new products and services as they become available, have your clients start a free subscription to eNews for Small Businesses. Type in subscribe to eNews for Small Businesses in the irs.gov search box. Now let's continue our conversation on electronic services. Joining the panel are Roger Harris, President of Paget Business Services based in Athens, Georgia, and Tony Tulo, Federal Compliance Director for ADP. Les? Thanks, Phyllis. Beth and Paul talked uh, during the previous segment about the impact uh, the uh, alternative minimum tax changes had and also the stimulus payment had on uh, the IRS for this filing season. What kind of impact did it have on, uh, on practitioners? Uh, Les, yeah, our friends up on Capitol Hill made it an interesting tax season for all of us. Um, the late passing of the AMT was obviously a bigger concern, fortunately, than it turned out to be a credit to service for getting that done sooner than I think we were all afraid it would be done. You couple that with the stimulus payments where people were coming in earlier wanting to get their uh, returns filed so they could get their payments. Also, people who in the past didn't have to file now needed to file a tax return so they would get their payments. So you, you had a, a, a rush from those folks and now we're into what I call the questioning uh, time frame where even though it really wasn't something that as practitioners we had to do anything other than prepare returns, we're beginning to get a lot of the questions about when will I get my payment, what if it's not the same amount. So we're now into the, uh, into the answering of questions. Uh, we're behind the filing season. The, the, the one thing I guess I'll point out to make sure everyone knows, <coughs> excuse me, because there was a, a concern that if you didn't file by uh, April 15th, you still would lose your payment. You can still file and get that payment again. There was a, a rumor that you had to file by the 15th or you lost it. So uh, we've still got some work to do. Yeah, in, in, in regard to the, the deadline, I mentioned October 15th as the deadline. Um, reason being is that the law is very specific that we need to issue the payments before the end of the year, which is obviously December 31st. And so it's going to take us an average six to eight eight weeks to process that. And so that's, that's sort of our, our deadline. If any, anybody claims or files a return post April 15th, we cannot guarantee that the payment will be out. Um, and if for, we suspect that some of them that will be sent closely or near the due date will be, will be sent out on time. But for those ones that are sent later in the year in October, November, um, at this point, we're, we're not sure, but we're hopeful. And if not, then um, that will be actually reverted back and then they can claim that credit on, on, the, on the next year. 
uh, in the next year's filing or tax return. So. And I think that's an area where a lot of the questions are coming, this whole issue of reconciling next year. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think I'm true, and Paul can comment, that a lot of that is still yet to be completely ironed out as to how that will work, given that the first job was to get the returns filed and get the payments out. But there's a whole issue of what happens if you file after the 15th of October. Don't file at all. Filing status amount. So I don't know. If yeah, and, and as we, you know, as we move through the summer, we'll get more definitive, more clear with regard to the reconciliation process and the requirements and the instructions. So that information will be forthcoming. We'll be sure to, to let the professional community won't know once we once we get to a point where we're able to share that. Um, so, but as as Roger said, uh, we are still in the midst of um, distributing these payments, and there is a lot of questions. In fact, our phones have been uh, have been receiving a tremendous amount of phone coverage regarding this. So, uh, Roger talked a little bit about the perspective on the tax professionals, and if you sort of, it's the perfect storm, at least on our side, because you got the general population, the added folks, and of course the call volume associated with all the ESP returns, which covers. Uh, both the, just the general population mm -hmm. files tax returns and the new population uh, or the non-filers that haven't maybe filed in a while but need to in order to receive their payment. Yeah, so www.irs.gov is <laughs> yes. a great way to get the latest information. We'll be sure and have it there. Yeah, and it is, it is posted. There is links. There are several links. Um, we actually, one of the things I did not mention in the first panel is that we actually developed an ESP calculator or what we're calling economic stimulant, stimulus payment calculator to help folks to determine what their what their payments going to be, so uh, that's been helpful to uh, uh, to inform people on their uh, on their payment amount. I think one of the things a lot of the questions are coming. They get the payment and it's a different amount. Mm -hmm. Be aware that there is a letter coming that will explain any change to what you anticipated your your stimulus payment to be. So the advice I would give to taxpayers and practitioners is wait until you get the letter before you raise the issue because hopefully the letter will explain it. Uh, the, the stimulus payment might have uh, been subject to any offset. Uh, it's the same as could other. Have been, could have been an offset, offset. for prior years or yeah, that's, past Yeah, that is a possibility. Very sage advice because the, the payment, uh, most likely they'll get the payment and then the notice will hopefully um, ho hopefully show up just within a couple days thereafter. So I would ask that they hold off a little bit before calling. Now, now Paul, for years the Internal Revenue Service was trying to get unnecessary filers, people who filed returns yes. that didn't have to, off the rolls. <laughs> now you've got them back on. What are you going to do about that? Uh, well, um, you know, they are filers. The interesting thing, what we found out is that um, for a lot of the folks we, we deemed as non-filers, um, I think that uh, from some of what some of the tax professionals have been telling us, when they when somebody comes in to file a return specifically just for an ESP payment, they find that they have certain dividends and they have certain income that actually qualifies them to file a regular return. And so I think I think what we'll see is that some of these returns may just or some of these folks actually may migrate into um, or may continue to be taxpayers for you know uh, for the foreseeable future. So. Okay. Well, uh, e-filing and e-services has certainly changed the way uh, IRS is doing business, also changed the way practitioners are doing business. Tony, uh, 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 what are some of the benefits, uh, what, are, what are some of the impact and the benefits that e-services has on the practitioner community? Well, I think e-services is a powerful tool for the uh, practitioner community. It, it allows them the flexibility uh, to work their uh, clients' uh, issues even though the Practitioner Priority Services Hotline has been a wonderful program, the e-services is literally a 24-7. So for the, uh, the practitioners out there, especially in the payroll community who are insomniacs, can at, at 2 o'clock in the morning get online and get a transcript. Uh, you know, it's not uncommon uh, to get issues in payroll that uh, require some immediate attention. So e-services really has uh, helped a lot with that. 
The other aspect uh, of e-services that uh, we like a lot is the EAR, the Electronic Account Resolution. And one of the really good things about that is, is that once you enter into a communication with the IRS through EAR on an issue, you maintain consistency with the IRS customer service representative until that case is closed. Whereas, in contrast, if you were going through the phone system, you would just get into the phone queue and, and perhaps get a different representative if you were trying to follow up on an issue. So, you know, I recommend to the practitioners that they really do register for e-services and start to use those products because I think it will improve their effectiveness. I think e-services today is where electronic filing was a few years ago. It's, it's, it's beginning to catch on. Well, and certainly e-filing moved to where now it's the common way of doing business as opposed to the exception. And I think you'll see that in e-services as more and more people get accustomed to it. It's not perfect yet. There, there are some issues, particularly for those people who would not have a need to use e-services on a regular basis. Uh, there, there are some potential issues with regard to re-registering your password that can make it very cumbersome. But in, in, in fairness to the IRS, they have reacted in most cases to, to, to the practitioner communities, the dropping of the five return requirement that allowed people under 230 that do representation work only now to take advantage of it. Again, we are just going to gradually move into it as we do, and then I think it will become commonplace because, again, we are living in an electronic world today, and, and paper is, is not long for us uh, as our method of doing business. But there are problems right now with the password in the practitioner community. They see it as a difficulty. One word of warning, those of you that want to use it for the first time, don't use it when you think you have to solve the problem today because, as was mentioned earlier, there is a time lag of signing up and getting back your confirmation letter. And uh, sometimes you'll have to solve that case under the old-fashioned way. Yeah, I agree with uh, with Roger in that it's an evolving program, and, and uh, I really uh, uh, want to commend the IRS for listening to the feedback from the practitioner community. Um, I'm really excited about the changes that are going to be coming for your services, particularly on able to make attachments to uh, the EAR communications, because one of the issues that we deal with a lot is the federal tax deposit penalties, and oftentimes the resolution is to send you a new Schedule B, the record of uh, federal tax liability. And if we're able to do that within EAR, that's really going to be very helpful. Great. Well, I might add just a couple of things in follow-up, and I certainly appreciate your um, endorsement of the of the applications. Um, one thing is that's going to be new in um, July of this year is we're going to be adding a link inside of eServices um, for um, you all, for users to provide us direct feedback. Right now we get great feedback from seminars and at the forums, but this will be um, an actual link in eServices to, for you to give us comments and, you know, um, if, for recommendations for changes, etc. And that'll just be under contact us. And also our eHelp desk is um, available uh, Monday through Friday from 6.30 to 6 Central Time at 866-255-0654 um, for help, especially with this password um, reset issue. Okay. We've gotten a question in that, that might be timely to, to bring up at this time. What if I'm a Circular 230 participant and have not received access to the incentive products? How do I access the services that I want? Well, actually, they need to call the number I just gave, so I, won't, I guess I won't repeat it now. But, um, you know, they need to, um, to call, and an assister will actually activate that for them. Okay. Now, the reason you've really expanded it to the, to the 230 applicants is more along the lines of what we were talking about, that you want more people to actually do notice work and other things. In the past, it's been only people who have been e-filers. Is that correct? Right. 
right. Yeah, we wanted to open it up because it is a great tool for them, and um, there's, you know, the, just to make to make it easier for them to be able to use these services. Do the once the the, the 230 person has been registered, do they receive uh, a notification? Oh, well, they will have to register and receive the confirmation code back in the mail yeah. and then go back in okay. and, and validate just right. as any other user, okay. yes. Very good. Okay. Uh, we talked uh, uh, earlier about uh, about the uh, e-filers uh, or the e-services uh, and the, a little bit about the registration. Maybe for those that aren't familiar with it, why don't you take us a little bit through the, uh, the registration process? Okay, I'll be glad to do that. Um, well, you go to irs.gov and enter uh, the keyword e-services and it should take you to the main page where the registration link is located. And um, you select a username, a password, and a PIN. And um, then we do mail you through U.S. Mail um, this confirmation code. And um, once you receive the confirmation code, you are required to go back into the e-services registration page and enter the confirmation code um, to actually complete the registration process. Um, and so once you are registered, then, um, like I said, if you, if you qualify for the incentive products, they will be available to you. If you are one of the Circular 230 participants that qualify, you need to call our 866 number and um, have them turned on for you. Um, if your password does um, expire, there is a reset option. Um, on the um, application to use it, you need to um, use your um, adjusted gross income from either the, the current year or the prior year, and you have to know which year that is, as well as your original PIN number that you registered with. And you have to know all three of those pieces of information to use it. Um, otherwise, you do have to go back through the registration process um, and um, so that's a little cumbersome, but it's really, you know, for our authentication process and security that we do. There this. is a reminder sent, am I correct, to that when your password is about to expire, <laughs> so is. you really need to pay attention to it because it's a lot easier then than later. Right. Well, exactly. the only comment I would just warn folks is that many folks that sign up to be be what we call the principal, the the main the main contact on the e-services, many times they delegate or proxy out that authority. So the notice may actually go to the, the, del or the, the principal, and that principal may not inform his, pro his or her proxies. And so I would only say that if you're a principal, that you be sure to notify your folks, because I, we've seen a lot of instances where somebody calls up and it's, they have a primary person who sort of is their, their primary proxy or delegate. And so uh, that, that seems to be, that seems to be uh, the case in some instances. Okay. We've, we've talked about e-filing. We've talked about e-services. There's, uh, I guess, a, a third prong to that, and that's e-payment. I know uh, both of you guys have been involved in this uh, in some capacity in the past. Uh, Tony, what's, uh, what's the benefits of e-payment? Well, e-payment, uh, I'm going to talk specifically about EFTPS, which is the Electronic Federal Tax Payment System, which has been, um, you know, since 1998, I think, is when it was put online. It's probably, in my, my opinion, the, the most accessible and easy-to-use electronic initiative that the IRS has. And I, I really encourage the practitioners to use it for their clients. You know, there is a mandated customer base out there, but, uh, you know, it's such an easy system to use that I think it will facilitate their business. There's a product out there that the IRS offers through EFTPS.gov. It's called the Batch Filer uh, Program, and it's software that they make available 
to practitioners for them to use to transmit uh, and manage their uh, payments for their clients. And it's good because you, you can keep track and it's easily viewable for the client if they want to go in and check their deposits. I think what, what we're seeing is we're moving into a technological world where people are using you know online banking and all these sorts of things. So to stick with paper as a practitioner for your method of payment is a little bit outdated. And I think we're, we're all getting to the point now that, that we've got to look for EFTPS as our normal way of doing business because, again, Practitioners complain about not being able to get deposit coupons. Well, you don't need them if you use EFTPS. And, and taking a coupon to your client and telling them in the, in the days of $4 gas to get in their car and drive to the bank with this piece of paper is a little bit outdated as well. So EFTPS is, is the way today that, that we should be looking at uh, and handling payments because it's a good system. And again, like all, it can be better, but today it's, it's good and, and we should be using it. And just, just to, uh, just as a reminder for individual folks, they actually can defer their payment until the, until the Till the due date. So I know in years past that the question's always been, well, I don't want to send the IRS my money sooner. But you can file electronically and defer that payment uh, to be debited from your account or taken from your account uh, at the at, at the filing deadline. So, and I will say it, this year we uh, the the number of e-filed returns that were balanced due returns was up very significantly, about 21 percent. So. Um, we were very pleased to see that, and I think that speaks volumes or sort of ties up to what Roger just spoke of about people dealing in that environment. So we're seeing that in the individual world as well. Okay. We've gotten some questions in, so let me go to some of them. And uh, as always, if we can't get to all the questions, we do answer all the questions, post them later on our resource page. So here goes. How do I use e-file to get client transcripts? How do I use e-file to resolve IRS notices? And I bet you I know something's wrong with this question. They're not talking about e-file, are they? Right. No, well, they are talking about e-services. Yeah. I think we've touched on these um, a little bit, of course, to get transcripts. Um, you need to, of course, register for e-services first. And then um, if you qualify for the incentive products, you would use the transcript delivery system to request the transcripts. And um, the second part of that, I guess, was for account information. Mm -hmm. um, so use the EAR, the Electronic Account Resolution System, for that. Well, I'd like to add to that that you know if you uh, if you use EFTPS and you e-file, you'll get less notices because I think it's well documented that the e-file and EFTPS combination reduces the errors I think by almost 20-fold. And so you're less likely for your clients to get notices in the first place for you to need to work uh, through the IRS through transcripts. Okay. We didn't, we didn't uh, mention this at all, but you can file forms 941 and 940 electronically. And there's a question that the person wants to know more about filing forms 941 and 940. Where can they get information? Well, um, on, on irs.gov, um, there is a link um, to um, e-file. And, um, and they'll find all of the information on that um, under the e-file link. And actually under e-file, we have the, the individual and corporate, uh, if they look under the employment tax area, they'll, they'll be able to find the link, find the information in regard to the 9-4 the series. Okay. Roger, you were talking about how the offices have become more electronic. Uh, here's a question that, that really relates to that. What are the regulations regarding electronic retention of documents? In the past, you put uh, all the all the paper in a filing cabinet. Now, what are the what are the requirements? Now you have a file cabinet on your computer where you are. You know, I think what we're seeing is this everything going into a paperless environment where we're. You know, I guess as accountants, our first 
class was to teach us how much paper to keep. And now we're we're learning that it's not necessary. But you, you deal with different issues. Obviously, backups become more important when you go to electronic storage. But uh, the rules don't change in the sense of how long you need to have records. It's how you store them, your ability to retrieve them. The biggest advice I would give to anyone when you go to uh, paperless or electronic is making sure your backups are there. Don't just assume because every night it, whenever you set it to run that it's actually backing up. Test it because you're still going to need access to it. But it, it, it's some different challenges. But in the long run, you, you will all be better off by handling less paper. And I would just add to that on the backup. If, if you can, keep your backup files at a different facility than where your primaries are. You know, we've heard too many stories recently in the news about disasters, and uh, it's just good, prudent business to do that. Okay. Paul, you touched on on the proxy. The questions come in, can other members of my company have access to e-services? Absolutely, and I think it's, I touched on it earlier, is that you can delegate uh, and, and authorize a person to represent you as a proxy. So that, that definitely can, can uh, is, is something they can go in as part of their application process. They can go in and then actually assign their proxies. Once they get, once the, the process the best is explained, they can go into the e-services and, and go ahead and assign their proxies as appropriate. Is there some advantage over that than having each person become uh, registered for e-services? Well, each person, each individual would still have to register for e-services, uh, but this is just done on their e-file application. Okay. All, right. Yeah. All right. It puts the control at, at the business owner level so that they, they would be responsible for letting the IRS know which of their employees can have access. And then, as Beth said, the employees would then have to register and get their own passwords. Yeah. Okay. Paul, here's one back to uh, uh, modernize the e-file. E what will be the included in the first phase of the 1040 MEF uh, migration scheduled for August uh, 2009 that you mentioned? Uh, well, right now, the first phase, what we're looking at the base form and then a smaller subset of, of those forms. And I, um, right now, the, the, the number of those forms, well, I'll tell you, are, are the most, are, we're still working on the, the the, the true number, but it's probably going to be somewhere in the range of between 11 and 20. But the interesting thing is we work very closely with our professional folks to work through exactly what forms we need to bring on because the our goal is is to minimize the burden to our tax professional community when we're migrating over to this new environment. And interesting enough, when you sweep in those, those most frequently used forms, you can capture them in a fairly few amount and encapsulate a fairly large percentage of the e-file population because I think there's somewhere in the range of 140 to 143 forms and schedules that could be attached to a 1040. And uh, so what we're looking at for August is a, a subset, a smaller subset of those forms being released. And again, that would be for, for, for tax year uh, 2008. And in 2010, um, it would be for uh, tax year 2009. So again, for the same number of forms in January of 2010. You mentioned hopefully keeping the burden down on the practitioners. Is there anything that we have to do or should do or to be ready for this, or is it just going to be business as usual and wake up one day and we can file <laughs> more forms than we did yesterday? Uh, well, you know, the, the, uh, the partnership on this has been, uh, been very extensive. We work very closely with the software vendors, obviously, with the tax professional community, get an understanding, as I said, about the, the use of the forms, uh, obviously the IRS and the states. The states is the other big component of this because I don't want to lose sight of the, the, the Fed State program and what we're doing there. But um, the coordination has been, you know, has been, has been significant across, across all these fronts. But from the tax professional, it should be transparent because 
whether you're using a pro product or a pro series product or the individual is using a boxed or an online product, it should be transparent. And so um, in conversations with these group of folks, that conversation has come up and um, each of the software providers may do their software a little bit differently, but by and large, they all agree it should be transparent to the users because it, it, it's really more of a back-end piece how that, how that file is being um, uh, transcribed and sent over to the IRS. And without getting too technical, there's currently a proprietary format, and with the way the MEF built is it's built more on a standardized format and allows for more um, uh, standardization with regard to the, the use of the data and the transformation of the data. When will the IRS allow Form 2848 power of attorney to be e-filed along with the taxpayer's tax return? Again, this would help expedite many notices as taxpayer drops off a notice to their CPA, but when we have to contact them to both sign the notice so we can discuss it with the IRS. If IRS could simply simplify the filing of Form 2848, it would also help in responding to these notices. Well, you know, in, in regard to the electronic receipt of um, information that is not deemed tax return or business tax return information, I, I tell you, is a is a strong interest of ours. Clearly, I, I agree with the statement that was made that the more the more ability that we can provide, the more functionality we can provide the tax professionals and the business folks to submit tax information. Now, in some cases, it's not necessarily tax return. I'll give you an example: this past year, we rolled out what's called our e-postcard elements, or TEG rolled out. There was some legislation that passed that required small tax-exempt entities to submit 15 pieces of data to us. Now, that's not deemed a tax return information, but again, we built a functionality to accept um, this, this particular form. And so the same would be applied here. Now, um, as Beth talked about, there's fiscal constraints and there's, there's uh, priorities and budgets that we have to consider, but clearly uh, our focus is to think about ways that we can bring in the opportunities are always there. It's just a matter of being able to have the, the, the fiscal bandwidth and be able to bring all that stuff in. But we are looking at, and I, I gave you the example about the postcard, but that is something we're looking at to create yeah. more opportunities to bring that information in. You know, some of the things we've talked about, the problems, uh, and, and even some of the, 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 the successes here that we've had in e-file and e-service have been subjects that uh, Chris Neighbors talked about the uh, different uh, councils. Uh, these things have been brought up several times. I know both of you uh, have served on, on councils. Maybe we, should, before we close out or end, we should probably get a word or two about uh, councils from, uh, from you. Yeah, I'm currently on the ETAC, the Electronic Tax Advise, uh, Administration Advisory Committee, and I, I urge you know the practitioners to consider volunteering for any of the six committees. You know, it's a wonderful experience. You get to meet new folks both in your industry and outside and the contacts in the IRS. But I'll tell you one thing, be ready to roll your sleeves up because you have to work. But it's a lot of fun and very rewarding. Yeah, I would agree with, uh, with that. I, I was fortunate enough to serve on ERSAC, and, and it was, uh, it was a, a great experience. It was rewarding in many ways. As Chris said, it's not financially rewarding, but it's rewarding in so many other ways. You do get to, uh, to, to have your ideas heard, not always taken, but heard, and uh, great people to work with. It certainly gives you a different perspective on the business that we're in when you get to work and see both sides of it. So, yes, I would, would concur that anyone who is interested should apply, and, and you'll find it worth your, your time commitment. Okay. You know, unless in spirit of the cooperation, I just want to thank the tax professional community and obviously Roger and Tony are, are part of that, that community for the, the amount of effort and collaboration, not, not only on the AMT and ESP, but everything on the e-services. Because we, we, 
We clearly are in this together, and we, um, we're very careful in making sure the professional communities are, are um, linked in as to our activities and making sure we're doing the right thing. So I want to thank you. From the many everyone. guests that we've had on who've been members of it, I'm sure they give you uh, <laughs> not only positive feedback, but also from time to time some things <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. on the other side, too. That's a fair thing. <laughs> Particularly when the cameras are rolling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here's a question that goes back to the stimulus payment. Is this payment really an advance refund on 2008 that will have to be paid back on 2008 tax returns? No, absolutely not. Yeah, some confusion there. <laughs> that if a taxpayer had their refund deposited to a debit card, will the refund be applied to the debit card or will they receive a check? If the taxpayer received a, 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 a rail, will the refund be direct deposited? Okay. Um, the short answer is no. I know that was a, probably a long answer for folks to follow, but the question essentially was if, if, if a taxpayer through their tax professional elected to get a, a refund anticipation loan or a temporary loan, um, we, we made a decision early on that those folks that elect to do that, because there's actually what we call a RAL indicator on the return, so we, we know that the, a RAL was associated with the return, we're going to flip that to paper. Reason being, is because many of those counts or most of those counts are temporary accounts. They're only held open for a certain amount of time or until the funds are actually exhausted, and then at which point the, the accounts usually close. And so, um, uh, so those, those, uh, those folks that claim that on a RAL or through a credit card will be flipped to paper and will receive a check. Okay. We've gotten several questions on, on estimated taxes and how can, uh, how can you access that and can, can, can you access it through e-services? Uh, What's the best way to, if you're looking for, if the, if the practitioner is looking for the client's estimated tax information? Well, I think there's a couple of opportunities here. On e-services, uh, if, if you have authorization from your client, you can go to e-services and get a, a, get a transcript and then see the uh, estimated payments that have been submitted to the IRS and posted to the account. There's another, another tool. If you're using EFTPS, if the payments have been made through EFTPS, you can go to eftps.gov and, and look up, uh, of course, you have to be registered and have the PIN number to look up the account, but you can see the payments posted. The good thing about EFTPS is you can actually look the day after the payment was made and you'd see it there. But you've got to be careful because who's doing the looking? Is it the practitioner or is it the taxpayer? Because there are two different sets of PINs involved and who can do the access? Okay. It's a whole separate show, right? <laughs> it's a whole separate show. <laughs> Okay, here's one, Beth. I guess uh, send it to you. Why don't you print a user's guide for e-services? The tutorials can be difficult at times. Well, I think that sounds like a great idea, Les, um, and we'll consider that. Well, right now, we are in the process of updating our um, online tutorials, but once that's completed, um, I think that's a good idea. We can put a PDF file out for um, folks to use to um, print. But again, um, our, certainly our e-help desk is available for questions if people um, need to call for additional help, too. Okay. What is the IRS link to submit electronically the Form 2848 Power of Attorney? Um, well, again, to do that online, you would need to register for e-services, uh, qualify for the incentive products, and use the disclosure authorization um, tool. Okay. All right. We've got uh, just uh, a, a, a couple minutes left. Uh, Roger and, and Tony, uh, in this, you, you both mentioned about how the modernization has 
caused a difference in the way you do business. Uh, uh, any tips that you can pass on to uh, practitioners as far as those that still haven't gone totally electronic or aren't participating in the program? I, I guess the first thing I'd say is stop fighting it because you're not going to win. Uh, electronic world is, is changing dramatically and I think uh, you can look for opportunities to start slowly if you're concerned with it, but uh, again, your customers are going to demand uh, electronic solutions to the way they do business with you. So, uh, you know, it's, it's something that at the end of the day, while it's difficult to, to change, at the end of the day, you'll be glad you did. And there are opportunities to uh, every day to, to make those changes. I just, just accept it and get with us. I agree 100%, and I'd just like to throw out there, you know, we're all familiar with the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. Well, now we got the three E's, e-pay, e-file, e-services. <laughs> very good, very good, and that will be the last word. Thanks to you all for uh, a very uh, informative discussion. Thank you for being with us, and, and thank you. But before we close out, let's go back to Phyllis. That brings us to the end of today's program. But mark your calendars for Tuesday, July 8, 2008, for our next program, Retirement Plan Pitfalls. Remember that you will be able to view today's and other Tax Talk Today programs, and you can download the program via podcast by going to our archives. Now, to receive CE credit for viewing today's program, click on Your Account and fill out and submit the evaluation form. Don't forget to include the program ID number, which is 7708J. Again, that is 7708J, as in junior. And we want your feedback, so send your comments to mail at taxtalktoday.tv. Finally, tell your colleagues to watch Tax Talk Today. I'm Phyllis Grimes. We'll see you in July. Thanks for watching. The Tax Talk Today series is brought to you by the Internal Revenue Service.